When change is absolute, there remains no being to improve, and no direction is set for possible improvement. And when experience is not retained, as among savages, infancy is perpetual. Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. That is George Santayana. He was a philosopher, poet, novelist from the early 19th century. Man, uh, how you doing, guys? This is a Construction Monk podcast. I'm your host, J. Randall Ori. And we are in the middle of a series. Well, really, at the end of a series called On Being Church. And this is episode 14. And episode 14 is Shallow. And this is the last episode. Yeah, I was kind of thinking about it. You know, last episode I said, I think we're going to wrap it up. And yeah, we are. We have, we've gone through the Middle Ages. We've, you know, we started out in the, the, the end of the classic antiquities, into the Middle Ages, right? Early, high, late, into the pre-modern. And hey, here we are, living in the modern world. <laughs> uh, um, and we're talking about church, right? And we're talking about history. And we're talking about learning from history. Well, that's what we've been doing, I hope. I hope we've learned from the history of the church. Not only what the church has been, what the church has become, but in, in light of what the church should be. That's what we're talking about, right? And so, man, I don't know how I'm going to wrap all this up because we've just discussed a lot of things. But the main things we've discussed is that the church should be about a seed, not a sword. It should be about a cross, not a coffer, right? It should not be conquering the world for Christ. It should be spreading the seeds of the gospel through love, through grace, through humility. Not forcing, pushing, coercing. We, we talked about in the last episode about freedom, right? And, and with freedom comes the, uh, the ability to choose God or not. And that's what God wants. God set up the world with us to have the freedom to choose him. And if we don't choose him, there are consequences and those aren't good. But man, like one of the consequences of not following God is trying to control things for our own benefit. One of the characteristics of God's nemesis is wanting to to kill, steal, destroy, wanting to control for his own benefit. Like one of the characteristics of God is that he wants to guide us for our benefit one of the characteristics of Satan is that he wants to control us for his benefit, right? So control, manipulation, forcing, coercion, that's the kingdom of darkness. And we, that's also what we've been trying to talk about. Remember we talked about a harlot on a beast and the beast was empowered by the dragon as we learned in Revelation chapter 13, 17, 18. Daniel talks about similar ideas in chapter 7, right? We're talking about the characteristic of God, how God orders the world, All that has to do with the church, right? The church is supposed to be advancing the kingdom of God, and we're supposed to be displaying the character of God. You can't display the character of God through a sword, right? God loves seeds. God spreads seeds. Seeds are small. They're tiny. They're, They're soft. The earth absorbs them, right? We need 
soft earth. We need to turn the swords into plowshares. We need soft earth to take the seeds to grow. And we need to teach others how to be soft, tender. God is tender. God is kind. It is the love of God that leads us to repentance, right? (laughs) Man, so much we've covered about what it means to be the church, what it means to be a Christian, what it means to live out the gospel, what is the gospel, the life and death of Jesus. And Jesus calls us into his death in order to partake in his life. And we die to ourselves. We take up our cross. We follow him. <sighs> but what, I think what we, what we find in this modern era of church is a church that is an inch deep and a mile wide. Have you ever heard that phrase? A mile wide and an inch deep shallow, right? And look, you know, I never want to come across critical or condemning. That's not my point. I love the church. I've benefited so much in my life from the church. I think the church does great things. I was talking with an atheist friend and he was telling me, he's like, man, I wish I had something like the church. Like, now I'm not a Christian anymore. You know, he's more of an agnostic, admittedly, but you know, trending towards atheism. But he's like, man, I really miss so much about the church, the community, the fellowship, the camaraderie, the, you know, just the caring nature of the church. And he's like, I, he remembers the church with fondness, how much we went to the same church for a while. Uh, he remembers how the church helped him, came beside him during difficult times, helped him learn about forgiveness. And I was sitting in church a couple months ago and the pastor was talking about forgiveness and I was like where else do you hear these messages about about being a better person about being kind about really developing better character about growing I mean where else are you challenged to go into the hard places in you to heal to forgive to grow right like on its good days on its good side, church really challenges us to go deeper. I like that scripture in Psalms. Uh, I looked it up, but I don't have the reference in front of me. As deep calls to deep, right? God is deep and calls us to deep. And yet, I think what we see through the Middle Ages, of what we see developing in the church is a shallow concept of God and Christianity. I call this the magic transaction, Right? You got to get saved. Jesus saves, right? Jesus is our savior. He died on the cross to save us. What does he save us from? Huh? I don't know. He's just, you know, we don't go to hell when we die. We go to heaven. Shallow. It's a shallow understanding. So in that understanding, it's like, what does Jesus save us from? After this life, we don't go to hell. That's it. What about the hell I'm living in right now? What about you know, war? What about poverty? What about disparity? What about, you know, refugee crises and humanity crises, human trafficking? What about all the things right now we need saving from? Does Jesus save us from those things? And how? That's the true gospel. That's the deeper message of the gospel is God... God, through Jesus, wants to transform us now to live a different way. That way is epitomized by a seed, not a sword, a cross, not a coffer. 
a church that knows how to be the church in the world, advancing the kingdom now. And the kingdom is about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And nowhere in there do you hear anything about coercion and a sword and forcing people. And if they're not Christian, you condemn them. And God doesn't care about them. There's no throwaway people. We're going to get into the action into Galatians. Um, But man, Jesus calls us to something deep, something rich, something full embodied. And it's in this life and it's now. And I think in many ways the church has lost the depth of the gospel. We've, We've got the surface understanding. We go to church every Sunday. We hear the sermons. Like, yeah, I mean, it's good to be challenged. Messages about self-improvement, right? Is the church just a center for self-help? Good self-help messages? This is the complaint a lot of people make about Joel Olstein and his preaching. It's just good self-help, you know? But self-help, God's not into self-help. Did you know that? God's into God help. That's why we gave... That's why we are given the Holy Spirit. There's this cool verse, or I'm sorry, there's this cool poem by Elizabeth Barrett Browning. Go to that. Here it is. It's actually called From Oralee. Elizabeth Barrett Browning was a eight, the 19th, yeah, she was a 19th century poet. No, she's eight. I can't remember. <laughs> 1806 to 1861. That would be the 19th century, yes. Sorry. I get that stuff confused, mixed up. It's hard, you know, because zero to one is, one, zero to 100 is the first century. <laughs> anyway, she's got this poem called Aura Lee. I'm going to read a few things from it. Uh, I'm trying to find. No motion without sensuous spiritual is inappreciable. No beauty or power. And in this twofold sphere, the twofold man, for still the artist is intensely a man, holds firmly by the nature to reach the spiritual beyond it, fixes still the type with mortal vision to pierce through with eyes immortal to the antitype. Some call the ideal, better call the real. Hmm. Sometimes reading poetry is hard, but I like how she's talking about piercing through the natural to the spiritual. She says, without the spiritual, observe, the natural is impossible. No form, no motion without sensuous spiritual is inappreciable. Like, there's both. We live in a world that is both spiritual and physical, and the physical doesn't live without the spiritual, but the spiritual is deeper. The spiritual precedes and supersedes the physical. Like a shallow church is one that just sees the physical, doesn't see to the deeper spiritual things. And she ends this poem from Oralee with this phrase most people have heard and I love. Earth's crammed with heaven and every common bush afire with God, but only he who sees takes off his shoes. The rest sit round it and pluck blackberries. Man, the, the earth is filled with God. Scripture says the earth is filled with the beauty, the cacophony, the wonder of God. The earth is filled with God. But do we just see a tree, a bush, some blackberries? 
Like, are we perceiving the deeper truths of God, the deeper reality of God, the deeper presence of God? Are we walking in the deeper character of God? Or are we just a shallow church and we meet every Sunday and we're part of the club and we consume the product of church? Are, are we being the church, advancing the gospel, advancing the kingdom, preaching the gospel, making disciples, really coming to know God truly, getting in step with the Holy Spirit? Earth's crammed with heaven. God is full, embodied in the world, present for us to know. But the history of Christianity has been to lose that. The first four centuries, Christianity was much more mystical and contemplative, much more spirit-led, right? We have orthopraxy. We have orthodoxy, orthopraxy, orthosynesthema, and orthosiasi. And orthosiasi, right relationship, led the church for the first 400 years. And then what happened? In the 4th century, the Edict of Milan, the First Council of Nicaea, the patristic period, orthodoxy starts to take center stage, which is what can I think. And Augustine of Hippo introduces Greek philosophy with, you know, blends Greek philosophy or starts blending Greek philosophy with Christian truth. And theology is born. Orthodoxy is born. And where has it led us all the way into the high Middle Ages, the Crusades, the late Middle Ages, the Great Schism, into the Reformation. And yet we still haven't figured out that orthodoxy is not the center. What you think. you got to get your truth right. The truth will set you free. <laughs> know the truth and it shall set you free. What was that other quote? Um... Those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. <sighs> Look at the history of the church. Started out with orthosiasi. Got to have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's all over the New Testament pages. Spirit, spirit, spirit. Orthosiasi. And then the patristic period. And then the high middle ages. And now... And, and then the pre-modern, and then the modern, and where are we at as a church? What are we professing? What are we calling people to, the right truth? Where has that led us? A church on every corner, a different flavor of church, and my church is right and your church is wrong, and we're still participating in the action of the sword, even though we can't use the state to kill people anymore, right? I will get to some scriptures, but first I wanted to um, introduce this character. I just kind of stumbled upon this lady. She was a, I guess she was a socialist activist. You know, not a, as far as I could tell, not a Christian necessarily. She believed passionately in freedom. She wanted freedom and she, <clears throat> her name was Rosa Luxemburg. <clears throat> Let me look and see. Yeah. She was born in 1871 and died in 1919. She was a Polish Marxist economist, anti-war activist, philosopher, revolutionary socialist. There you go. And, you know, I mean, socialism has a bad name in, in modern times, especially in Western democracies, because we know, we think, we kind of conflate socialism with communism. And communism is, is a bit of a different beast. Socialism was just the idea of freedom. 
that we shouldn't be dominated and oppressed by governments. We should kind of just, for the well-being of all, get along. I mean, I think that's in its most basic sense. Now, socialism as a political movement, just once you, once you, again, once you ingest things into a nation state, once you make something an empire movement, and once you take up the sword, it changes things. But socialism, I think, people say Jesus was a socialist. And if you understand socialism as living with all things in common, that's exactly what said the church did in the book of Acts. People sold their houses, gave everybody looked after everybody. Anyway, I think her heart, Rosa Luxemburg, was for freedom. To rid the world of oppression. right? She, but she tried to do it through the means that brings oppression through the state. She wanted to reform a system created by a mind, a kingdom, whose goal is oppression and who uses the sword and who, t- who tempts us towards freedom through oppression, which is absurd, right? But the church has done the same thing. Rosa, Lux- Rosa Luxemburg once wrote, those who do not move do not notice their chains. Those who do not move do not notice their chains. If you're stuck in a system, in an ideology, a theology, you're stuck in a church, you're not growing You're not going to notice that maybe you're actually not thriving. You're not healthy. You're actually in a prison. If you don't try to move, grow, change, you're not going to notice that you need it. I had a professor that once, or that, yeah, that once said, uh, righteousness draws hell like a magnet. I always stuck with me, and I've found that to be true in my experience, man. Whenever I'm, <clears throat> whenever I am stepping out into God's purpose for me, man, I feel a lot of resistance, right? <sighs> whenever God is trying to liberate me from something, man, I start to feel those chains. Whenever God's like, hey, I want to transform this area of your life, and I'm like, whoa, I didn't even know I was imprisoned in that way in me, Right? God is about the internal. God works from the inside out. God wants to change us internally so that we can change the world around us. But if we haven't changed, if we haven't really ingested the truth of the gospel, the reality of Jesus Christ, we can't change the world for Jesus. If we don't know Jesus, if we're not following Jesus, we can't create followers of Jesus. (laughs) How can we call other people to follow Jesus when we're just sitting still in a box hemmed in closed in by the four walls of all our theology and truth but not truly interacting with the person of God Rosa Luxemburg was an interesting character she I mean she poured her life out she was imprisoned dozens of times for her resistance towards oppressive regimes she was eventually executed shot in the head by a government but she did imagine that she could enact reform through that same means through protest through oppression in a way through she was trying to reform a system that doesn't work she was trying to use the ring of power to defeat evil 
I think she saw the true problem, oppression of the of governments. And I don't think she understood that that's what they were designed to do by the one who created them. Remember? Satan showed Jesus all the nations, all the kingdoms of the earth, and said, these are mine, I'll give them to you. If you just worship me, and Jesus said, no, nah, not only, of course I'm not going to worship you, but I don't even want those. No thanks. I'm about the kingdom of God. Those are yours. <clears throat> and I don't even like how they work. And I'm going to let those kill me to show just what God thinks about those. God's not going to use those. God doesn't even want to touch those kingdoms. Those kingdoms, nation, states, empire. That's all Satan's bag. Try to use that to do God's work. You actually do the opposite of God's work because God's work is redeeming human souls, changing, transforming people to be like him, to be holy as he is holy. I just thought Rosa Luxemburg was an interesting person. You know, <laughs> I've, um, you know, we're talking about shallow versus depth, right? I, I purchased a motorcycle last week. I'm planning this trip. I actually leave tomorrow, right? I'm planning this trip. So I, I've gone through the checklist of, I've got the motorcycle, I've got my helmet, I've got my jacket, I've got the clothes, gloves. I had to get the motorcycle plated, registered, and I have to get my motorcycle license, right? I've taken the written test twice and failed it. I took the driving test, I passed, I can ride. I've done everything except that darn written test. And so I've taken it twice, and you know, I'm just someone who, you know, I do everything with God. I talk to God about everything. And so I failed the test twice. And so I'm talking to God. I'm like, you know, God, I know that you could allow me to pass this test. No, no, no problem, right? So I'm like, and I'm not, I'm not like accusing God. Like, why didn't you? I'm just like, hey, you know, I know. Like, I'm a good test taker. I usually don't struggle with things. I've, a lot of the same principles of driving a car apply to driving a motorcycle, but some don't, right? It's quite different. I mean, it's the same road rules. Different beast. <laughs> Pun intended. But, um, so I'm talking to God. I'm just like... So, you know, like the first time I failed, I, I went and I studied a little more. I kind of glanced through the motorcycle manual, driving manual. And I, I was doing some practice tests. And the second time I went in, I was like, yeah, I'm a much, much better prepared. You know, I think I got this. I, and I failed. In fact, the, the first two times I, I got the same amount right and wrong. And so I'm like, okay, after I failed the second time, I was like, I better buckle down and really go through this motorcycle manual with a fine-tooth comb. I mean, I, I sat down at the computer. I took notes. I took 10 pages of notes. I made an outline of every single section. I went through that thing forwards and backwards I was thorough and when I was done I was like I realized something I'd been asking God you know why I didn't pass the first two times right I realized something reading that manual you know what I learned a lot of things about how to ride a motorcycle and how to be safe and how to really be on the road and make myself visible because that's a big thing because motorcycles are hard to see and man I was like God I was just kind of flabbergasted. I was like, the reason I didn't pass those first two tests, the reason God didn't allow me just to kind of skate through, was because he knew I needed to be prepared to ride 
a motorcycle, right? Sometimes we approach God. I think the shallow church is like, oh, you just got to pass the test. You just accept. It's just simple. You just accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You get dunked, dunked in the water, and you, that's it. You've passed the test, right? And God's like, I'm, I'm not trying to get you to pass a test. I'm trying to prepare you for the road of life. And there's bumps, and there's traffic, and there's red lights, and, you know, animals could run across the road. There's all kinds of situations, curves, slippery pavement, and you're on a motorcycle. And I'm not just trying to get you to pass a test. I'm trying to prepare you to travel your whole life on a path with Jesus. And it's rough, and it's rugged, and there's going to be good stretches, straight stretches, curvy roads, it's going to be bumpy, there's going to be hard times, and I'm trying to prepare you to live life like Jesus, to be prepared to go through the hard things. I'm not trying to get you to pass a test. That's the shallow understanding of Christianity. Well, We passed the test, we said the prayer, we uttered the words, we got in the water, we passed. And God's like, you just started, and this, is, and this ain't a test. This is a walking, living, life with me kind of thing. That's the deeper understanding is salvation and sanctification are the same thing. Orthocaesi, orthosynesthema, orthopraxy, orthodoxy. They're all parts of that one big whole thing. Man, you need your truth. We need good truth, which should lead us to good practice, which should lead us to good emotion, which should lead us to good relationship with God and others. Right? This is why I think orthocaesy is central. Because God's not trying to get us to pass a test and you've got to know the right answers. God's trying to prepare us to live a good life. Because he wants us to live a thriving life. And then he wants us to teach others how to live a thriving life. This is why he created us. He created us for thriving. Because he wants us to thrive. And we messed it up. And God's trying to just teach us and bring us back to it. That's it. That's a simple gospel message. That's why we need God with us through the Holy Spirit. And we need to learn to walk with the Holy Spirit. And let's go to Galatians. I kind of, um, we're going to bounce between Galatians chapter 2. We're going to kind of read a, a smaller section in chapter 2. And then we're going to bounce to the end. Because, uh, well, in the middle, Paul just talks about, Paul's setting forth this ideal of walking with the Holy Spirit. And in the middle, he just kind of talks about how the Galatians have forgotten that. Right? So, Here we go. Galatians chapter 2, starting with verse 15. We are Jews by nature and not sinners from the the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus. We could say a person is not justified by knowing the right truth and practicing it, but through a relationship with Jesus. That's what he's saying. So we'll continue. Even we have believed in Christ so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Since by works of the law, no flesh will be justified. It doesn't matter what you know and what you do. It's who you know, not what you know. (laughs) 17. But if, while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Far from it. If I rebuild what I have once destroyed, I prove myself to be a wrongdoer. He's saying... Christ came to liberate us from trying to, trying to do the, the right things in our own effort and know the right things through our own understanding. So don't go back to it. If you go back to that, you've destroyed the new thing that Christ invited us into, which is orthocaesy. Verse 19. For through the law I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ now lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died for nothing. Hmm, dang. 
Look. And so he's saying, like, look, it's not about what you know, what you do. It's about who you know and who you follow. And we die to ourselves. We die to the flesh, which means you die to the old way of trying to be right and do right. You die to the old system. Why? That old system was, was created, taught, manufactured, and coerced by Satan and his kingdom. It's a system of oppression. It's a system of the sword. It's a system of control. It doesn't bring us freedom and life. It's not focused on relationships. It's focused on did you do the right stuff? And if you didn't do the right stuff, you're dead. And if you don't know the right truth, you're dead. (laughs) And if you don't follow the Nicene Creed to every jot and tittle, every iota, if you don't dot every T or every I and cross every T of the Nicene Creed, you're dead. That's not God. That's what Paul is saying. And so chapters 3 and 4, so he set up this paradigm. He's like, look, this is the way it is. Not the law, but faith. Not what you can know and do, but who you know and who you follow. Get on the cross with Christ. In verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ. I, don't, I no longer live. Like, it's no longer me at the center. And it's no longer what I can do at the center and what I can know at the center. It's no longer orthodoxy, orthopraxy or orthosynesthema at the center. It's now orthocac. Now we enter this new relationship. Dying to self means I'm going to put my, my way of doing things which seems right to me. There's a way that which seems right to man, but at the end it leads to death, as, as Proverbs says. I'm going to put all that aside. I'm going to walk in a new way. That new way is Christ in me, with me, leading me. I'm going to follow Christ now. I'm following a person, not a set of rules, right? So he set up this whole paradigm, and now he, he spends chapter Galatians chapter 3 and 4 saying, but you Galatians... You've forgotten this. Here's the pattern, but it's not the pattern you're living in. You started with the Spirit, but you've lost it and you've gone back, right? You've, you're, you've torn up this new foundation. You've gone back to the old. So those are the chapters 3 and 4. And then so now we're going to jump to chapter 5, which is entitled Follow the Spirit. So he starts with, hey, different kind of life here. Set, 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 it's it's in, established through Jesus on the cross and, and being crucified with him. And now... So he spends three and four saying, and you've lost it. But then he comes back in five to kind of to still continuing to describe that life. Chapter five, this section is called Follow the Spirit. Give me a second. Okay. Just wanted to check where I'm at with my time. So chapter five, starting with verse one. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. You know what Paul's referring to when he says slavery? The law. You can do it. You can know it. It's all on you. What you do, what you know. Nope. He's like, that's slavery. The Old Testament law. The I- and it's not just the Mosaic law. It's, it's, this, it's a paradigm of what you can do. And you got to make yourself right. So because God's so holy, you got to make yourself right through what you can do and through sacrifices and through contrition. Just like, remember, just like in the 15th century with the Protestant Reformation, Luther's big beef was grace. Like, like the, the, it was being these indulgences and penance. It was being taught that you had to earn salvation. You had to earn your, your way into God's good graces. And Luther was like, oh my gosh, this is so crazy. No. Paul's saying the same thing. That's slavery. It's slavery in every form, right? It's, it's, it's a shallow form of Christianity and it's slavery you got to do the right stuff and know the right stuff so that was verse 1 verse 2 chapter 5 Galatians 
Look, I, Paul, tell you that if you have yourselves circumcised, Christ will be of no benefit to you. And I testify again to every man who has himself circumcised that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You have been severed from Christ. You who are seeking to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. For we through the, for we through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything but faith working through love. So Paul's referring to the Jewish rite of physical circumcision, but he's actually using it as a metaphor of what? Again, what you can do, how you can make yourself righteous, how you can earn God's presence, God's favor, God's grace. And he's saying, look, you've got to be perfect. If, if that's the means to God that you're going to choose, you've got to be perfect. And guess what? You can't be perfect. So just look, Jesus, and through Jesus, it's all thrown out. The weight is lifted. You're free. It's for freedom that you've been set free. And he, he says, uncircumcision, circumcision, meaning nothing. He's like, meaning doesn't matter what you do, what you don't do. Trying to be holy, trying to do good things or not do good things, it doesn't matter. But what matters? Faith working through love. Believe that God is with you through the Holy Spirit and seek to love God, seek to love others. <laughs> the whole of the prophets and the law are summed up in love God, love your neighbor. And starting with verse 7, you were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion did not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will adopt no other view, but the one who is disturbing you will bear the punishment, whoever he is. As for me, brothers and sisters, if I still preach circumcision, why am I persecuted? Then the stumbling block of the cross has been eliminated. I wish that those who are troubling you would go and emasculate themselves. <laughs> Paul's hitting this really hard to emasculate. He's talking about circumcision. He's like, just he's like, I just wish they would just die. Just go all the way and take that that circumcision knife and just emasculate them whole, their whole self cut their whole self off he's just saying I, I wish they were just gone it's kind of harsh I don't think he's being literal he's not promoting the sword okay even if it's a circumcision sword verse 13 for you are called to freedom brothers and sisters only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh but serve one another through love for the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement you shall love your neighbor as yourself <clears throat> But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. There's the solution. How do we overcome the evil nature of the flesh towards sin, disobedience, towards doing what is, you know, being selfish, all the things of the flesh? Walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. Walk by means of the Spirit. Live your life by means of the Holy Spirit leading, guiding you. The Holy Spirit is called the paraclete, the teacher, the guide. He's meant to walk beside you in the way and say, this is the way you should go. It's as in the Old Testament through the prophet Isaiah. He's a guide. He's a teacher. He wants to walk with you and say, hey, hey here's some things to work on. Here's what we're going to work on right now in your life. Here's some things I need to root out in you. Here's some transformation I want to do right now. Walk by the Spirit. Paul's like, here's the key to overcoming sin and the destructive effects of life apart from God. <laughs> you need to start to live life with God, the Holy Spirit in you. Walk with the Holy Spirit. Don't just get the Holy Spirit, but walk with the Spirit, by the Spirit. Verse 17. 
For the desire of the flesh is against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another in order to keep you from doing whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Let's go back up. The desire of the flesh is against the spirit, right? What's the desire of the Holy Spirit? Unity, fellowship, communion, right? God is a flow, is a relational flow. God is, God is Trinity is a relational flow between the Son, Father, Son, and Spirit. The desire of the Spirit is that we would, we would participate in this relational flow. And out of that relationship, everything happens correctly. Like when we're in tune with God, walking with God through the Spirit, we're going to do what's right. We're not going to carry out the desire of the flesh. What's the desire of the flesh as opposed to the Spirit? The desire of the flesh is I can do it. I know and don't tell me and I'm in charge and I can do it. That's the desire of the flesh. I can do it. I don't need a guide. I'm smart. I can figure it out. Orthodoxy. I know the truth, and I'm going to enforce that truth. And I I think a sword would really work well and fit well with the mission of God. Yeah, that's the flesh. But the spirit is, hey, let's be friends. Let's get into a relationship. Let's get to a place where you can hear me. I can hear you already. And let's get into a relationship and I can guide you and I can begin to work things out. I can transform you. And a, the seed of the Spirit can be planted and grow and grow and grow. And eventually we learn to hear God and walk with God. And God changes and transforms us. <laughs> For the desire of the flesh is against the Spirit. They're in opposition. What's the desire of the flesh? I don't need anything. I'm independent. I'm smart. I'm capable. I'm affluent. I got a college degree. I went to seminary. I know how to lead a church. And it's my church. <laughs> Mm-mm. Okay, we'll continue on. Verse 19. Oh, we'll start with 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are sexual immorality, impurity, indecent behavior, idolatry, witchcraft, hostility, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarned you just as I have warned, just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Let's go back up. Factions. Division is another word for faction. Division. Lutheran versus Methodist versus Catholic versus Calvinist divisions. Dissension. I'm not going to hang out with those people. If you're a Quaker, I'll kill you. Selfish ambition. I'm the Pope. No, I'm the Pope. No, he's the Pope. Wait, there's three Popes? The Western Schism. Jealousy. I'm in charge. Sit down. I'm the Pope of the Roman Catholic Church... And I'm going to come to you, Mr. Patriarch of Constantinople. I'm going to tell you what's what, and you better submit. Strife. The whole Middle Ages. <laughs> the sword. Killing other Christians because they're not Latin. Killing Jews. <laughs> Hostilities. <sighs> All these things. These are the deeds of the flesh. And they're evident. But the fruit of the Spirit verse 22, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let's follow the Spirit as well. Let's not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. 
follow the Spirit. If you live by the Spirit, follow the Spirit. And if you follow the Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit will show forth gentleness, self-control. I don't need to put people down. I don't need to tell people what's what. I don't need to correct people. Faithfulness. I'm just going to follow God. Patience. It's okay if they don't believe like I believe. I believe. It's okay. Peace. Hey, you know what? We don't all believe the same, think the same, but we can get along. We're unified through the Spirit. We all have a relationship with God, right? Joy. Man, I just love getting together with God's people. I just love walking through the woods. Man, it's such a beautiful day. Thank you, God. Love. You're an atheist. You're an agnostic. You're a weird mystical Christian. You're a Buddhist. I love you. Love shows the way. I think it's no coincidence love is the first fruit. It's cool, huh? Man, I don't see a lot of those fruits looking through the history of the church from the patristic period through the high middle ages and pre-modern. There's only one conclusion. When you don't see the fruits of the Spirit, what's that evidence of? Absence of the Holy Spirit. Absence of orthoseasy. The centrality of right relationship has been shifted to the centrality of right truth. And where has right truth led us as a church? 2,000 years of church and 1,600 years of that has been centered more on orthodoxy than orthoseasy. And where has it led us? Where is the church now? The church today is in crisis. I don't know if the church ever hasn't been in crisis, but it's in crisis now more than ever. The Western church, I should say. It's shrinking. The latest statistics say that 65% of Americans claim to be Christian and only 31% claim to be dedicated, which means they go to church every Sunday and they actually participate in the church institution and rituals. 31%. And people still think we're a Christian nation because they still think nations are Christian because that's what we've been taught through the empire church of the Middle Ages. But what is church? It's a community It's not a nation state. It's not an empire. It's not a pope telling the kings to go take Jerusalem. It's not a commodity and we go and we sit and we, we you know, choose the flavor. It's a product and it's prepackaged for us. And you don't get to decide the product. No, we are the church. And I would, I would propose that we need to learn again how to be the church And I would propose that the old model of church, which maybe worked for a time, is not working anymore. The institutional church, the empire church, the mega church. I told you a while back I was going to challenge you to do something. I think the first challenge, as I've already said, is to discover your gifts. Learn how to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. That's how we do. Learn what your spiritual gifting is and, you know, start to walk in it, learn it, grow into it. But as you do that, there's one more challenge. To be the church in your church. Whatever church you go to, we don't need more division. We don't need more leaving churches. We need the church coming together, not falling apart. But I think 
the challenge is for you first just to be the kind of Christian that, God, that Christ has called you to be, walking with the Spirit, putting orthocasy at the at the center, and still doing the orthodoxy, orthopraxing, orthosynesthema. Right? It's okay to know good. Read your Bible. Have some good practices. Tr- you know, let God transform your emotions. But it all comes through relationship. But man, you know, I think the heart of the church isn't the. We've had this movement actually since the 50s of the megachurch, right? Uh, and this is just a part of the larger, broader movement of church, right? I mean, remember we talked about in the Middle Ages, there were two ideas of how the church was structured. There was ecclesiastical um, as eschatology. I think that's wrong. Um, ecclesia. Ecclesiology. It's, uh, yeah, ecclesiology. It would, there was... Eucharistic ecclesiology and there was universal ecclesiology. And universal ecclesiology imagined the church as one big institution with the Pope at the top. And Eucharistic ecclesiology imagined that each little church, you know, functioned really independently as a community. Eucharist, ah, what does that mean? I mean, it refers to communion, like a a community in communion. And so I think the microchurch is the better model. The megachurch is kind of a similar expression. Like we, big, and we can plant satellites, satellite, you know, locations, and we just grow and grow, and then we have these national, you know, even traditions, denominations are nationalized, and some imagine power more centralized, and like, it's the big church. It's really universal ecclesiology. But I think Eucharistic ecclesiology is what we really need, and that's the microchurch Start, start small, stay small. How can you really have a community of tight-knit people walking together, keeping each other accountable day to day, not an hour a week in an institution to hear a sermon and sing some songs and then you don't see each other the rest of the week or maybe you, every once in a while you get together for coffee. But like the microchurch is a small group of people who really know each other, keep each other accountable, who walk with each other day to day, year to year, decade to decade, through the centuries relationship a small tight-knit community that's what really what the church is ecclesia means church it means the gathering a gathering how can we be a, a, a community of people if we don't even gather once a week for an hour that's not a gathering that's like a concert event that's a program you go here an hour you go there an hour you go to work you know, it's all this compartmentalized, programized type mentality towards church. But the church is meant to be a community. In a community, you can know people and keep them accountable and walk with them and help them and they can help you. And this has been my journey. I just got together with a friend yesterday. We get together about once every two weeks, sometimes more often. But we talk. And, and it, when we're not face-to-face, we're texting and how are you doing and you were sick and heard about your kid and how you know when we get together we're like what's God teaching you what have you been learning what are you struggling with what are you wrestling with as a parent as a husband you know as a boss at work that's a community that's the micro church like my challenge to you is find a group of of people Christians that you can walk with even if your church isn't encouraging it even if your church doesn't like it start us Small group. That's what we call small groups. But like, it doesn't have to be so churchy, so programmed. And you read this book and it's a community of brothers and sisters mentoring each other. 
discipling each other. Towards what? Better knowledge of the Bible? Nope. Better practices? Prayer? That's all part of it. But actually, towards what? Hey, how are you growing to know God and be led by the Holy Spirit? How are you walking with the Spirit? What's the Spirit teaching you? What's the Spirit been challenging you in? How are you growing? The microchurch. The new movement of the church is the microchurch. Because people are going, hey, you know this empire, megachurch mentality, it's actually hasn't worked, hasn't ever worked. We've tried to make it work for thousands of years. Doesn't work. Why? Because relationship is absent. It's hard to do relationship seeing someone once a week for an hour, and most of that hour isn't really even communally focused. You get in trouble for talking in church. Didn't I did as a kid. I got the, the crap pinched out of me by my mom who reached around behind my brother because I was talking in church. Well, <laughs> I think there should be a lot more talking in church between everybody, not just one guy on the stage with a mic <clears throat> talking. You know, the way that the mega church, the institutional empire church is structured is sit down and shut up is you parrot everything in front of you. You're just a mime. You're pantomiming, and you get to talk for two minutes between the worship and the <laughs> sermon and maybe after, but they shoot you out because the next service is coming in. And yeah, we've got some church programs that we try, where we try to facilitate some relationships. The men's group meets. That men's group has functions twice a year. There's that men's small group. But they go through a book. Where's true mentoring relationship happening? Where's the community of the church really being planted, plowed up, fostered, cultivated, and grown? It's about a community. Community is focused on relationships. But what's happened? Well, truth has taken center stage. So most of our gatherings are focused on truth. Even our small groups are like, okay, we got to know the right truth, right? Orthodoxy, orthodoxy, theology, systematic theology, universal orthodoxy. And yeah, a relationship happens, but it's not the focus and it's not the center. Did you get your truth right? So I challenge you guys, as we've talked about and discussed what the church has been, how it's changed throughout the centuries, what it's become, how it's become what it is now, the empire church still trying to use the sword to advance the kingdom. As we've talked about all of that, I want to challenge you to, to be the church. Don't wait for your pastor to initiate. You pursue the Spirit. You pursue your spiritual gifting and out of that pursue relationship and fellowship and community. Be the micro church. That's the true church. We are the church, all of us. When we're the micro church, a small group of people doing life together, encouraging one another, mentoring one another, keeping each other accountable, then as we walk through the world, we will be the God colors and God flavors. We will be the scent of Jesus the fragrance of Christ, as the scripture says, and people will catch that scent and be like, oh man, that, that's different. That's not like the world I live in, which is the empire, you know, mentality of the wrong kingdom, which is cold. It's not community focused. They'll be like, man, you really love people well. The fruits of the spirit. You've got joy. You're patient, man. You were really patient with me back then. Man, you really took care. You were very gentle. You were self-controlled. You didn't get mad at me. You, you're faithful. You didn't give up on me. 
Everybody else did. You're different. You're different. Fruits of the Spirit. How do we become different as Christians? How do we become distinct? Oh, right truth, right truth. The whole world is caught up in that. No, I'm right. No, science is right. No, religion is right. No, atheism is right. I got the right truth. No, this party has the right view, the right truth. No, uh, what has that done? It divides us. Right truth. Right relationship brings us together. Right relationship is we don't think the same, see the same, dress the same, go to the same church, believe in the same religion, live in the same community. We don't have the same color skin. We don't have the same culture. We don't even come from the same nation. But I love you, and we can be in relationship with each other despite our differences. Theologically, ethnically, culturally, religiously, politically. Love, relationship, the Spirit. Man, if you needed to be exactly like God to be in fellowship with God, <laughs> we there's no way. Ain't no way. God doesn't say, until you get all your stuff right, all your truth right, and your practice I'm not going to be in relationship with you. No, he's like, no, it's through relationship all those things come. Because as you walk with me, as you walk with the Spirit, that stuff gets ironed out. But when you're not walking with the Spirit and you're trying to do it on your own, what? that's the flesh. And the flesh and the Spirit are opposed. Because the flesh is, I can do it, and i got to get myself right for God. And God doesn't want anything to do with me until I get my stuff right. And guess what? Then that'll never happen. Grace and Jesus. But did we start with grace and then go back? to law? Did we start with the Spirit and then go back to law? Did we start with God saved me, it's a free gift, but now I got to earn it and now I got to get the right truth and now I got to do the right stuff? (sighs) The church needs a radical transformation. You know, I've been thinking through the series that, you know, like the church needs revival, right? But actually, I think it needs revolution. Revival is let's take this thing called church and let's tweak it and let's kind of revive revive what it is bring it back to life but i'm i think that the model of church has come it's just it doesn't need to be revived it needs to be put to death revolution is let's get rid of the whole thing and start over let's go back to the beginning what was the church in the beginning it was spirit-centered we've forgotten it we've lost it we got a sword instead of a seed we need to beat those swords into plowshares we need the cross not the coffer we need, to, we need to come back to what the gospel truly is, what the church truly should be. We need a revolution, not a revival. A revolution is we need to kind of start over. We need to get back to basics. The, the primitive gospel is what some reformers called it. The simple gospel. The true gospel centered on right relationship. We need to go back to square one. We need to start over. We need to look back through the ages and go, man, there's so many things that have been adopted into the church that have changed it indelibly into something different, into more a harlot on a beast. We can't reform the harlot on the beast. What what does the Spirit say? The Spirit and the bride say, come. The Spirit says, come out of her, my people. He doesn't say, hey, you know what? Stay Stay with that harlot and the beast and make it better. Like, hey, let's get, let's, here's an idea. Let's take the kingdom of Satan and just improve it a little bit and it'll work better. What, why, what? No, get out of her. Come out of her. Get out. Come back to the original plan. You and the Holy Spirit walking together in relationship and then you're in relationship with other people who are walking with the Spirit and we have a community. It's all relationship. It's all orthosiasi. It's the micro church. You could be a part of the mega church, but you need to be a part of the micro church church. The megachurch isn't where it happens. 
You need to be in relationship, even with one person, even walking with one person for a long time. Better two, better four, a small group of people. That's the true church. That's where church happens. So I challenge you, be the micro church. Fan your gifts into flames. Discover your spiritual giftings. Start to ask and seek God. Start to find others who are doing that. Learn, read books, listen to podcasts. (laughs) Make sure it happens. Don't wait for your pastor to do it, to instigate, to lead the way. They may, they may not. They'll have some good things to teach you for sure. There's some good things being taught in churches. But what? Words. Words are not enough. It's a relationship. Right truth isn't, isn't, isn't the center. You just may go to a church and you're getting right truth. And it's like, but how do I put it into practice? Well, just keep, keep coming to church. But how do I do it? My, my, my tradition is Vineyard. And the founder, John Wimber, was like, his thing was doing this stuff. He became a Christian. He was excited. He started going to church. And he was like hearing the sermons. And he was like, yeah, but when are we going to start doing it? I want to do the stuff. When are we going to start doing all these things you talk about? I think sometimes that's our plight. As Christians, we're like, I've been going to church 20, 30 years, and we've talked about it. I've heard this preacher tell me to do it, but who's going to show me, and when are we going to start? I want a church that practices, that does it. And what, but what are we practicing, right truth? How do you practice right truth? You try to, you just... What, you just become a street preacher and you're just blaring? I've seen street preachers with megaphones and, and um, amplifiers. That's, they're trying to spread the gospel, but they're just using words. But relationship, right? Be, walk with people. Do life with people. Be friends with atheists, Buddhists, Christians that aren't like you. Now, aren't we supposed to take the sword and kill those people? Uh, no, that's the empire church. And that's what we've, that's what we've done. Isolate and execute and eliminate. If you're, you want to become a Christian like me, sure. But until you do, I don't want to hang out with you. Excommunication. Separation. No, it's through relationship. It's all relationship. We love people well. The fruits of the Spirit are all relational. Love comes from being around people. Joy is hanging out with people. Peace is what happens when we get along with people. Patience is what we do when people irritate us, but we still don't separate Kindness is how we treat people. Goodness is the way that we live our lives that people can see that, man, it's good. Faithfulness is like, hey, I'm not giving up on you. It's all relationship. Self-control is like, I'm not going to get angry with you. It's all relationship. And so relationship is the center. And so we need to be in relationship. We need to be in relationship. We need to have a core community, a micro church of people who are really encouraging us to walk. And then we need to, as we grow in Christ and our, into our giftings, then we need to hang out with other people not like us. So the flavor of Christ, the scent, the aroma of Christ can effervesce from our lives into the world around us. And people can be like, man, that smells good. Yeah, you get those plugins, you know, plug them in and someone walks in the room like, ooh, I really like fresh linen. That smells... That's what we're supposed to be. People are supposed to be like, well, how can people smell Christ on you when you're closed up in a box, in a church box, and you won't hang out with the wrong kind of people, and you actually just wish they'd go to hell? Uh-uh. You got to be in relationship. Be, be friends with atheists, Buddhists, agnostics, the other kind of Christian that your church says is wrong. Relationship, it's the key. But we got to get in relationship with God first. It's all relationship. Everything centers on relationship. Orthosiasi. 
We've got to be the micro church. We've got to, get to be getting together with people who are encouraging us to grow in God, who are modeling it for us, and then we're modeling it for them. And then we start to model it for others who are not in our little small community. And maybe then we model it for the larger church we belong to. And they're like, hey, you know, this is one group of Christians in our church, and man, they're different. And then it's like the whole church can change. And then the whole church is like in its community and it's helping its community, loving its community. And the community is like, man, that church is different. They're not just isolating and condemning all the time. Man, they're different, right? They really love well. You know how you can tell the heart of a church? Their budget. And again, I'm not trying to be critical, but I just this is just something I do. I've visited a lot of churches just for a lot of different reasons. But man, if I am able to get a hold of their Sometimes they'll just put, I've seen it in the foyer, they'll have a book and it'll be the yearly budget. You can see where the church spends its money. Time and time again, hands down, the dominant model is 90% stays with the church. 10% goes outside the church for the community. or And a lot of that actually goes overseas somewhere. Man, it's just like 90% stays, it's insulated. It's about us. It's us about us. A church about itself. It's a church that's self-focused. It's not a church that's focused on God. God is like moving through the world, trying to draw all people to himself. Jesus said, if I'm lifted up, I'll draw all people to myself. And the church is like, if you guys want to join us, then we'll, then we'll help you. But if you're outside, we'll, we'll throw the, the scraps from the table towards you. But we're not in our Christian club and our particular flavor of church and theology then you know, 90% of what we do and our focus is us on us. That, that, that's not the church that God imagines. That, that God, the church that God imagines is what? Jesus did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but gave up everything he had, his place, his position with God, and came here to hang out with us. And who did he hang out with? The wrong people, according to the religious elite. Sinners, the prostitutes, the tax collectors. He was the wrong kind of... He was the wrong kind of... person. He wasn't godly in their eyes. He hung out with the wrong people, did the wrong things. Didn't, he didn't observe the law. He was the wrong kind of Christian. I was going to say, but he wasn't a Christian, but... That's, if you translate that to now, he would be the wrong kind of Christian, hanging out with the wrong kind of people, not doing the right kind of things, not believing the right kind of truth. But Jesus was like, you know, I'm just yeah, like a doctor goes to the sick. I'm going to hang out with the sick people. I'm God. You know, that's a good example. Jesus wasn't insulated, isolated, and... Um, in, uh, exclusive. He was inclusive. He was like, I want you to see God, so I'm going to hang out with you. And I'm not going to get angry. I'm not going to get impatient. I'm just going to hang out with you. And eventually you'll see it. And you'll ask the questions. And some of those questions won't be right, but we're in a relationship and, and we'll learn. There's no bad questions. Let's learn. Let's walk together. That's the invitation. Walking with the Spirit is walking with Jesus, is walking with the Father. It's the walking. It's the life. It's not a test. It's a path. It's a journey. It's the microchurch. It's small communities of people who do life together, relationally, communally, who walk with each other, keep each other accountable, who encourage each other to really know God. <laughs> hey, guys, this has been a great series. I really appreciate you hanging with me. Um, 
This has been a Construction Monk podcast. You can catch more content at www.moderncontemplative.com. I wanted to end with a song. This kind of this song is why I titled this whole thing uh, "Shallow." You know, we need to, we need to get deep with God. It's the song's called "Shallow." It's from a movie called. Um, a Star is Born. It's a remake of an older film. It's, the remake was Bradley Cooper and Lady Gaga. These lyrics just kind of struck me, so I'm going to leave you with these lyrics. Tell me something, boy. Aren't you tired trying to fill that void? Or do you need more? Ain't it hard keeping it so hardcore? I'm falling. In all the good times, I find myself longing for change. And in the bad times, I fear myself. I'm off the deep end, watch as I dive in. I'll never meet the ground. Crash through the surface where they can't hurt us. We're far from the shallow now. In the shallows, in the shallows, in the shallows, we're far from the shallow now. Are you far from the shallow? Are you diving deep with God? Love you guys. Take care.